mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message from the FGMAA camp meeting in June 2021 entitled, Come Out of the Press. His scripture text will be taken from the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Here now, Pastor Moody. I want to start off just before I read my scripture. I want to read you just a little bit out of the mission statement of the FGMAA. Would that be all right? And our mission statement says that the FGMAA is an association, not a denomination, but an association of full gospel ministers of basic fundamental doctrine as prescribed in our tenets of faith. And its purpose shall be, this is what we started for, its purpose shall be to promote fellowship and voluntary cooperation among full gospel and Pentecostal and holiness churches, teachers, ministries, and their friends in America and on foreign fields as commanded by our Lord Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, when he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And he said, Lo, I'm with you always. So when I, I, that's all I'm going to read of that. So when I thought of that, I thought, God, we still have a vision. We still have a purpose. Can you say, man, we have a mission that God has called us to, not just as pastors and evangelists and missionaries, but as Christians. God's called us to promote the gospel of Christ in, and the kingdom of God in the world and to strengthen, amen, ministry through fellowship. I've always said this. This has been one of my, uh, my ongoing mantras, I guess you could say, that if you can strengthen the man or woman of God in that pulpit, you're going to strengthen that church. You're going to make that church a secure place to be. How many is glad that when you walk into the house of God, you can know there's a leader there that has a heart for you? I love what Brother Wayne taught a while ago and moves. Amen. Wayne's, Pastor Wayne has said this to me over the years, and he may be one of the first ones I've heard to say it, but he's always said that faith works by love. And I thought, what a powerful statement that is. So having said that, I want to I take you back to a time in Israel's history, uh, as it was so often, where they were in distress where they were in trouble because of sin and because of failing God. And in the book of Judges, we find that the word judges means deliverers. And God would raise up deliverers at a time of oppression, at a time when things were, were, were going uh, poorly for them. And they would, would de- the scripture said they would deliver Israel or bring them at Judge Israel, which, which was a word that meant, Brother Bill, they would deliver them and bring them out from whatever oppression they were under. And so I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about a very familiar Bible name. I want to talk to you about Gideon, if I could, just for a little while. And, and what God said uh, at the time Gideon uh, was called up to be the man of the hour. So if you want to go with me to Judges chapter 6, and uh, 
I, I, I was going to read the whole chapter, but I don't think I will, just for time's sake. I'm just going to start about verse number 6, Judges chapter 6, and verse number 6. It'll be on, on the screen up behind me here. Uh, listen to what it says. It says, and Israel was greatly impoverished. Let me translate. They were in poverty. Now, they weren't just having a hard time, folks. They were destitute of everything, the nation. And I thought if I could just interject something right there. Here we are in America today. A country, I remember America, I'm, I'm, I'm not, a, not older than all of you, but most of you. I have, I have memories of America in, in her greatness, I guess I could say. And, and, and when I say that, I'm not just talking about financially, I'm not just talking about materially. I've seen revival in America in my time, amen? And I've seen revival in the body of Christ. I've seen a time when the church was maybe the most powerful entity, amen, that men could look to. But now here's the time they're greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried to the Lord, amen? And then the Bible says this, amen? It says that, and it came to pass that when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, because of the Midianites, because of their problems, that the Lord, what's this, what God did? He sent a prophet, an unnamed prophet. And the prophets, uh, he sent a prophet unto the children of Israel. Watch what he says to them. He said, thus saith the Lord, I'm going to remind you of something. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you, uh, amen, forth out of the land of bondage. Amen. I, I, he's telling them, I set you free. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you. When you came into this good land, he said, I drove them out from before you, all those that possessed. You know what he told me? He said, you're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to eat from storehouses you didn't fill. You're going to, you're going to glean from vineyards and crops that you didn't even plant. And so he said, in one place, he said he sent a hornet and drove them out. Amen. God used his means and drove them out before you. And look what he said, I gave you their land. How many's glad for a God like that? Now let's go on, verse number 10. And I said unto you, I am the Lord, your God. Say that with me, your God. I'm not the world's God, I'm your God. I'm the Lord, your God, and fear not the gods, little g, of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but then he says, you have not obeyed my voice. You've, you've, you've let me down. And the scripture said, after the prophet, say that with me, after the prophet, there came an angel of the Lord. So he sent the prophet, amen, he gave him a reminder of what they'd done, how they got there. But now here's an angel of the Lord and he sets under an oak tree or a terebinth tree that was an Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abirezerite and his son Gideon there at threshed wheat. Watch this. It said he threshed wheat in a wine press. Say that with me, in a wine press. Amen. He threshed wheat in the wine press to hide what he had gleaned from the Midianites. I'm just trying to hold on. I don't want him to get what I've got. I want you to get that picture. Here's this man. He don't know it, but God's about to use him. And he's just trying to hold on to enough to sustain himself. Can I tell you, I'm afraid that's where a lot of Christians are today. Can I go a little farther and say I'm afraid that's where a lot of preachers are today. They're just trying to hold on to enough. 
I've been in churches before where they stand up and say, Lord, children, y'all pray for me. I just want to make it. I don't want to just make it. I, when, I, when I leave here, I want the devil to wipe his brow and say, I'm glad that one's gone. Amen. I, I, come on, are you with me? And so the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now he's, he's hunkered down in a wine press and he's trying to hold on to a little, trying to sustain himself. God can't use you if that's all you're thinking about. And then Gideon said unto him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why is all this befallen us? Why has this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hmm, has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. I want to talk to, to everybody today. I really wanted every FGMAA preacher, we had to be here today. I'm going to talk to you just for a moment about coming out of the press. Come out of that press. The press is a place of crushing. The press is a place here of hiding. The press is a place here of, I can't look at anybody else because they're just trying to hold on for myself, trying to sustain enough for myself. But here comes a prophet and then comes an angel and says, but wait a minute, you're a mighty man of valor. Touch somebody and say, get ready, God's going to use you. God's going to use you. Come out of the press. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and favor. We thank you for the love of Jesus, for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Lord, for all the words that have been spoken to us and over us and that have changed us this week. I, I have went home after every night, after every day and night, and laid down in my bed and said, God, you've made me better today. Iron sharpens iron, God. Ministry helps ministry. And so, Lord, they've left me to the last one, and I'm so full I might keep them all afternoon. But just let your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. I want to tell you something about Israel, if I may. When I began to read this, and of course, it's like almost a repetitive story, they, they, they get in trouble and they cry out and then God raises up somebody and, and ministry happens. Can I say it this way? Revival happens and the country's stronger. And then all of a sudden they lapse back into the same thing. And then there's oppression. In this case, the Bible said it was the Midianites. But it wasn't just the Midianites, but it said also the other inhabitants of all that land came against them. And the scripture said that, amen, they oppressed them. And sometimes I wonder if we understand really what it means when you read it in this context. Brother Mark, it goes to describe the oppression. It said every time they'd raise a crop, they'd come steal the harvest. They'd come steal the produce. Every time their sheep would bear lambs, they'd come steal the lambs. They'd take the fruit of the womb of the, lamb, of the sheep. Everything that they had, the enemy was taking it. Can you say amen? And I began to look around us today and I thought about America today and I thought about, you know, I see so many things that are happening in our country 
And I won't get political this morning. I don't think I will anyway. But I, I, I just want to tell you that what I see that's happened, and I'm not just talking about since January. Come on, folks. But I'm talking about for decades. I've watched as the enemy has robbed America of things that God gave us. Can you say amen? Sister Alma, you can sit down, honey, if you want to. Uh, things that God has gave us. The Bible, you know, uh, the Bible I thought about our forefathers had a vision of a land, amen, that uh, uh, I, I read something to the church here one Sunday morning just a few weeks ago that uh, there, was a, uh, there was a country that, uh, and I was trying to think of the man now that said it, but he said he, that he, he went and, and said that there was this country that had no infrastructure, they had no paved roads, no highways, they had no running water, they had no uh, uh, boards of education or administrators of, of education. They had nothing of like uh, organized teachers' unions. They, they had no internet, no curriculum uh, to speak of. But they became the most literate country in the world. They had a literacy rate at that time of over 80%. That meant, Brother Earl, that over 80% of the inhabitants of that country could read. And that, that's nowhere else to be found today, other, maybe in America today, I don't know. But this was at a time of, of primitive beginnings. And uh, you might ask, well, uh, uh, where was that country? It was Robert Jeffries, thank you, Lord, that, that wrote this in a book that he wrote. He's a, uh, he was a pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas and has a great ministry. He's went around the world. You see him on TV and stuff all the time. And Dr. Jeffries said this. He said, here was this country that was compared to the great, to the great countries of Europe were, were just uh, primitive, but they had a higher literacy rate then all of Europe and with all of its fine universities and all of its facilities. And that was colonial America is who it was. And the reason was that the Puritans came here and founded this country. And Brother Wayne, they believed that it was imperative that they teach their children, everywhere of them, to read the word of God. That's what they taught them with. Not just for education's sake. Not just so they could compete in, a, in an industrialized world or, or the educational world, but they believed that it was essential to be able to worship God, to know his word. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. I'm, I'm about to shout. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. And so here we then we have this country that, you know, the British tried to destroy us. And then the Spanish-American War, they tried to destroy us. And, and over the years, we've been the target of the communists. And I remember the Cold War of the 60s. I go back that far. I remember when John Kennedy stood down Khrushchev and, and uh, the missiles he was trying to put 90 miles from Florida, giving them to Castro. And I remember when he met them out there with our armada and said, turn them around, boys, or we're going to blow you out of the water, are you? hearing me. They tried to overtake our nation every way they could. Now we've got a nation that's given up its freedoms. We've got a nation that's forgot God. We've got a nation today your child carry a Bible to school, they'll send him home. You hear me? They took the commandments down. And when you take God out of the, out of the classroom house and you take down the commandments all that's left is just anarchy that's all that's left so here are these people they've forgotten God the prophet said don't you remember I brought you out of Egypt I, 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 I tore the greatest nation and the greatest army in the world I destroyed them and brought you out with a strong arm 
through that Red Sea. Amen. And he said, now here you are. I brought you into a land. I drove out the inhabitants. I gave you Canaan land. You know, I, we used to sing the old song in the church every day, I'm camping in the land of Canaan. And Canaan's not heaven. No, Canaan is the, the land of the born-again, spirit-filled experience. Canaan lands where you live by faith. Somebody help me. Canaan lands where you walk in relationship with God. Canaan lands, can I say it this way, is where you got a cloud by day, amen, that brings you in and a fire by night. And Canaan lands when you, when you come across the Jordan and the, and the manna ceases and somebody says that you eat the old corn, amen, the, the, the blessing that's been established and waiting on you when you get there. But God said, you forgot about me. He said, you You've forsaken me. So I said, now they're, they're oppressed. When I, when I began to read this, it said they were greatly impoverished and, and uh, their, their crops were gone and their produce was gone and they, 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 they took everything they had. And so here's this man Gideon and uh, he's down in a wine press and he's threshing wheat so he could hide because he's just trying to hold on to enough to sustain himself. And the angel of the Lord appears to him. And when Gideon begins to hear the angel, and uh, if I'm a mighty man of valor, I want to tell you something. The enemy would like to convince every preacher, Brother Joy, every child of God, every Sunday school teacher, every singer, amen, every person, as Pastor Wayne so eloquently says, that drives the bus and cleans the bathroom. He'd like to convince you that you're not really important. Do you hear that in the voice of Gideon? I'm, I want you to know I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm from the poorest family. And then he asked the question, amen. His, his questions are, are, to me, they challenged me. They're eye-opening, brother Wayne. He said, first of all, if God is with us, why has this happened? I think somebody needs to ask that question today. What, what's happened to America? What's happened, I believe it was to Tocqueville that came from France and during those colonial days and, and when he came to, to, to America and he, and he toured our country and he went back and the great awakening had happened and he went back and he, he stood before the heads of France and he said, I have come to tell you, I've seen greatness in America. And he said, the greatness is not their military because they don't have one. <laughs> he said, their greatness is not their fine learning institutions because they don't have any. He said, their greatness is standing in their pulpits. It's men on fire for God. Hallelujah. And so oh, he said, if, if, if God is with us, first of all, we have got to understand that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Come on, somebody. It's not, I mean, it's not eloquence. It's not some speaking ability. It, it's not some, you know, uh, I remember one time Sister Moody and I went to another town to do a revival, and, or not a revival, a funeral. We went to this funeral, and, and uh, I, we were just to, to sing. There's a family that lives in that area. Every time somebody in that family dies, either we'll sing and I'll preach or I'll preach or we'll sing some all the time. And, uh, and uh, anyway, I knew the family many years ago, and uh, we were there in the funeral, and we, uh, we sung our song, and, and 
somebody else sang a song and we sat down and this guy got up to preach and I'm telling you, I couldn't tell you anything he said. I mean, he was just, he was all over the place and, and every other word was, you know, and, and, and that's okay because I've done that myself and, and, and I'm sitting there just trying, I'm trying to hear something. Every time. I, I, you might think I'm strange. I don't go to funerals, you know, just to, to get a free meal. I go to hear what God has to say from that preacher, you know, if I'm not preaching and I'm sitting there and all through this thing, it's, it's just conf- almost like it was irritating. Can I say that? It was irritating. And then suddenly right in the middle of the funeral, he takes a deep breath and he says one of the most profound things. It's like, whoo, glory to God. And uh, we're leaving the funeral home and in the funeral that day we're driving home and I, I hadn't said nothing about it. Sister Moody looks at me and says, honey, I said, what? She said, did you hear what that man of God said? Oh, you hear me? We got a word from God. And so I, I thought, we're in a, a time in America. There needs to be an opening somewhere. And, and here I go. I thought, FGMAA, we need to find the opening. And when we find it, we need to step into it. Can you say amen? And we need to be prepared to present something that can make a difference in our world. Man of God, you mighty man of valor, God is with If God is with us, why has all this befallen us? Was his next question. Why are we in this mess? Then he said, where are the miracles that our fathers told us about? Brother Wayne, I'm not living in the past. Brother Chris says, I'm not trying to live off of donkey's heads and doves dung. Can you say amen? I've had enough of carnal minds and and preaching on what used to be. Is this all right? I'm looking for a fresh move. I'm expecting a fresh wind. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I'm looking for a cloud. If it is the size of a man's hand, I'm looking for a great awakening today in America. So in other words, where's the deliverance? Amen. Where are the miracles that God does? There's a, a popular song out now that I heard something that's been out a few months now and, and it challenges God to come and do what you're famous for. Have you heard that song? Come and do what you're famous for, God. You know, things like opening blind eyes, like making cripples get up and walk, like raising the dead, amen. And we've seen God do these things. My, my kids say to me, you know, we talk about boys in our, in our beginnings of, of the house of prayer back in that old carpet store building and that little old blue building we were in and, and people were on fire and, and things. And we'd, we'd go to meetings and blind eyes would get open and cripples would walk and we'd, we'd have them get filled with the Holy Ghost 10, 12 at a time. And I've had, I've had this younger generation say, why aren't we seeing it now? That's a challenge to me. That, and I've been trying to tell them why, Amen. And so here's this man of God. He's, he's about to become a great deliverer. He's about to become one of the judges of this famous book. And uh, I believe that the evangelical world has a problem today. I'm talking to the FGMAA, and, 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 and I tried to really search this out. And Pastor Wayne, I, I believe that the evangelical world is divided basically into two camps. And I'm not talking about denominations. But I think that they, they have a mindset that's either truth-based or experience-based. Now think, think what I'm saying to you. There's some, you know, that it's all word, but no experience. And if it's all word, it's, you know, the word's powerful, but if you don't allow God to move on that word, it's just dry. 
Then there's the experienced crowd. You know, they're, they're a mile wide and a half inch deep. Somebody help me. They don't have any depth. Are, are you hearing me? And we got to have depth. So Saul, we got to have some roots put down. Brother Greg said that the other night. We got to get anchored in the, in the principles and the precepts of the word of God. Amen. And so when I started looking at this, I said, that's where we are. I find some real problems with this division scripturally. There's a danger, listen, the Bible says, of having, have you heard these words, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I I had a a, a friend, well, he was a family member, married to one of my dad's first cousins. And him and his wife was married for years and and her her husband was married for years and their spouses died. And later they married and he was a Southern Baptist preacher. Good man, I love him. And uh, I was preaching on the radio. You know, I've been on the radio anyway for 25 years, five days a week, a half hour a day. And I was preaching on the radio and, and, and one afternoon, lo and behold, he called me. And he said, Brother Owen, he said, I was listening to you preach. And he said, I started feeling something. I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, man, said, what you were preaching was, he said, it was Bible. He acted like he was shocked. I don't know what he thought I'd been preaching. You know? Because <laughs> he thought I was reading out of National Geographic or something. <laughs> he said, it was Bible. He said, it was King James Bible. I like what one old guy said. He said, the word of God was forever settled in heaven in 1611. <laughs> King James, and he thought that's all, that's all there was, you know. And, and he said, I'd come down there and hear you preach. But that bunch of shouting and all that, he said, I'd be afraid they'd run over me. I was a little mean. I said, well, if you didn't get out of the way, they probably would. <laughs> you see that? We've got, we've got a group that says, feed me, but don't expect me to respond. And we've got another group, they come in, you know, they're like, we call them pistols. They're already half cocked when they come through the door. <laughs> and they're about ready to blow something up. So we need a balance. FGMAA, I want us to be known as people that preach the word of God and then God follows us with signs and wonders. That's where I want to be. I've been there, seen that. My God, we're there. I want to tell you, we're there. Can you say Amen. How many glad you got a church that is there? I mean, it, it may not happen every service, but from, <laughs> glory to God, from time to time, there's something that happens. Somebody will get up healed. Somebody will come out of there and get set free. Somebody, I, I, you know, Dylan, I got tickled at Dylan. Uh, he, they had, that uh, preacher had us up last night comparing the old and uh, me, the old and him, the new generation coming on. Now, I was thinking about this, Brother Wayne. One time, we was, there was a girl here in the county that had a major heart trouble, a little young girl, and they was asking churches to fast and pray. And so we went into a about four or five days of fasting and we was having gathering every night to pray just for that girl, for God to save her life. And he did, thank God. But one night, I, just before church, I'd been out working and kind of cut it a little close and I was in the shower trying to get ready to come and I heard somebody beating on the bathroom door. I mean, hard. And I said, who is it? And Dylan said, Papa, get out of there. Come on, something's happening at the church. I said, you've got to get up there. I said, I'll be out just in a minute. And I rushed out, dried off, 
put my clothes on, wet head and all. I come to the church. I said, what's going on? He said, I don't know. There's crazy people in the parking lot. He said, something's happened up there. And I rolled up here and got out and there was a group of people that had gotten involved in some stuff and there was about four of them that demons had taken them over, had taken them over and then we were manifesting. I'm doing that out there under my carport and out there we're prayer meeting and I, I rolled out of the car and people oh, what are we going to do I stepped out of the car like John Wayne praise God I stepped up there I looked at him I said devil you've come to the wrong place tonight we've been fasting we've, whoa, we've been praying and I tell you in a little while we got the demons out of them people got them in the house whoa, somebody ought to praise God and then I went to the house of the one that started it and got her set free glory to God we've got to have truth are you hearing me this is the pillar and ground of truth but God we need demonstration of the spirit and power I'm ready for it they said old brother Seymour Kept his head in a box till he knew he'd heard from God. I'm ready to put a box on my head if that's what it takes. Yeah. Are you with me? Let, let me hurry. So there's a real danger of having this form of godliness denying the power. First, I want to say this. There can be no valid Christian doctrine without experience. If you try to preach a gospel message and nobody gets saved, there's something wrong. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The Bible says, if there's any sick among you, call for the elders, anoint them with oil, lay hands on them, and the prayer of faith will do what? Save the sick. And if they've committed sin, it'll be forgiven. If we preach healing and nobody gets healed, there's something wrong. When I preach, I expect results. Not because it's me, because of what I'm preaching. Amen. I believe it was... One of the places in scripture it said that uh, they're out there prophesying they're not of us. And I believe it was Paul that, or Jesus that said if they're not against us, they're for us. The word of God needs to be preached. Can you say amen? So there can be no valid Christian doctrine without experience. Second Peter 1 and 21 said, for prophecy came not in the old time, amen, by the will of man, but holy men spoke of God, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you, there's got to be the move of God in the church. Yeah, yeah. Amen. And it, and it don't have to be cranked up, worked up, hyped up. It don't need to be imitation artificial. It don't, come on, somebody. I, I want to tell you, there needs to be a move of God that comes in and takes over. Hallelujah. What's going on? That doesn't mean everybody has to shout till midnight either. How many has been in that place when God came in and you knew that he was touching hearts? And Mark, we could have got up there and preached Mary had a little lamb and the altar call would have been successful. That's a move of God. That's that move of God. So we have got to come to this place where we realize there's got to be experience to validate doctrine. We believe that the scripture is inerrant. We believe it's infallible, can I say? This is the word of God. And... uh, I was trying to think of it this morning, just a moment ago. I should have looked it up this morning, but is, is in Ezekiel the scripture that you can read and bleeding will stop? Yeah. And uh, it said, I saw you when you was polluted in your blood. And so it says that way. I don't remember exactly how it says it. But I've seen that work. 
And somebody told me one time, said, oh, said, I think that's hocus pocus. I said, no, that's pocus hocus. That's the word of God. Can you say amen? It's the word of God. And so they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. We believe these scriptures are inerrant and infallible. The Holy Ghost inspired, witnessed of men to the mighty acts of God. Some of the scriptures came by angels. Other were spoken by men as they were moved by the Spirit. Even the apostle Paul, amen, amen, was, was changed and transformed. Not by a scholarly discovery. He'd already been a scholar. But what God saw on the road to Damascus, are you with me, was a supernatural encounter. Come on, it was something beyond man. Hallelujah. When the sun shined brighter, a light shined brighter than a noonday sun and and Jesus himself knocked him off his horse and started talking to him. Amen. He was literally knocked to the ground, blinded, and he heard the voice. Jesus declared to the woman at the well, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. Are you with me? And in truth. I, I want to tell preachers all the time, you've got to have both. I went to a funeral one time in another town uh, for somebody that I knew and loved just went to be at the funeral and the kid, well I said kid God for me, the young man they had preached at the funeral, it was his first funeral and he was nervous as a, a long tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. I mean, tell you, this boy was nervous and uh, somebody, I guess, told him I was a pastor and who I was and he come to me and said, can I talk to you, man? I said, I said, sure, son. I pulled me aside. He said, can you help me? He said, I'm scared to death. I was the first time I ever stood in front of a crowd to preach a funeral. I said, have you ever preached in church? He said, yeah. I said, you've got a captive audience here, son. They're going to listen to you. I said, they ain't running out or trying to borrow a baby or start chewing bubble gum. They're going to listen to you while you're here. He said, what should I do? I said, three things when you preach a funeral. Always remember this. I said, you need to honor that person that passed. And you need to comfort that family that's sitting there. And I said, most importantly, you need to lift up Jesus Christ as the way to heaven. I said, you do that and you've been successful. And, and I think sometimes we lose sight of what ministry really is. Secondly, the scriptures validate personal encounters that we have and that we claim in the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? For many, the Bible has become a symbol. It's become an icon. The book has become, you know, listen, uh, the, the book, the scripture, the, 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 the one we hold in our hand, to a lot of people has become greater than its author. Can I tell you, it's not just a logos. It's not just a printed word, but it's alive. It's powerful. It pulls down strongholds. Can I say it? It's a rhema. That's the Greek word. It's a living word. How many have been reading the Bible and maybe you've read it a hundred times a portion and suddenly God says something to you that impacts you? It becomes a rhema to you at that moment. We're, we're living, and listen, we're willing to uh, let the word be alive. If you do, Bible study leads to experience. In John chapter three, the Bible said there was a man of the Pharisees, verse one, named Nicodemus. And the Bible said he was a ruler of the Jews, which means he was a master. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. That's what, that's what he was. He was, uh, some say, part of the Sanhedrin council. And he came to Jesus at night. 
The Bible said because he was ashamed, I guess, to come in the daytime. And he said unto him, Rabbi, which means master teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Watch this. I teach the word. I have the logos. I know what it says. But we know that you came from God. Watch this. Because there's experience or there's, there's power being manifested in what you're teaching. And he said, we know that no man can do these miracles except God be with him. So when I walk into the house of God, I love good preaching. And I love good singing. But Brother Earl, I'm waiting for the moving. I said, I'm waiting for the moving. I'm waiting for the troubling of the water. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to hear the sound in the mulberry trees behind me. The going. I, I'm waiting to know that something greater than me has come in the house. Is this all right? I'm talking about where we need to go is the FG. M-A-A. And he said, no, I can do what you're doing except God be with him. And Jesus just cut to the chase. How many knows what he said to him? He said to him, except a man be born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. You hear me, Nicodemus? It's not enough to know it. You've got to experience it. You must be born again. Oh, we can preach that. Come on. We Pentecostals can can tell people to get filled with the Holy Ghost. I remember when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. 1978, Church of God camp meeting. Building was full from front to back. Carl Richardson was the preacher. There was used to be an old comedian on TV named Flip Wilson. Anybody remember Flip? And Flip Wilson, you say, well, what you see is what you get. That was his saying. And Carl Richardson walked up in front of that Pentecostal camp meeting and said, whoa, what you say is what you get. And he preached to us that night about claim and promises and the word of God and living by faith and letting God do a work in you. And by the time he got done, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost that night. I'd been saved about two months and I was standing there pleading with God saying, God, if you'll give me the Holy Ghost, I'll give up my Marlboros. I'll quit that smoking, God. I've done give up the cussing and the drinking. And I'm going to agree with one old boy who was in my church, got saved, was in heaven now. He was an alcoholic, drank a case of beer a day, and most days a fifth of whiskey. Passed out most of the time. Passed out in his bass boat so many times. One day he hadn't drowned. And he got saved. He came to me one day, and he was in tears. He said, Brother Moody, he said, I got saved. and said, I've never wanted another drop of alcohol. And he grabbed me right by the wrist and said, but these cigarettes are about to kill me. He said, can't get me. They're, they're addictive. So be merciful when you see somebody's got saved and they're still sending up burnt offerings. <laughs> and I stand there, Brother Earl, and I was saying, oh God, I want the Holy Ghost. If you give me the Holy Ghost, I'll quit smoking. There's 500 people in the altar. The place was packed. There's probably two or 3,000 there that night. I'll never forget it. There was two twin boys standing right beside me, little chubby-fisted fellers about nine years old. And somebody walked up in front of them. Both of them just fell out the floor together talking in tongues. And here I'm over here trying to bargain with God. Oh, God. <laughs> Carl Richardson had done preached that worked up a lather and a sweat, and he'd done went and sat down drinking water. Suddenly he jumped up from a chair way back in the back of that platform and ran back up there to that Bible said, picked up that microphone. He threw a finger out there. It looked like it was six, ten foot long. It looked like it was going to touch my nose. I mean, he can't hear me. There's 500 out there hollering and shouting and squalling. And he pointed his finger at me. He said, I hear you out there trying to bargain with God. Tell him what you'll do if he'll give you the Holy Ghost. He said, my God, it's a gift, man. Take it. Hallelujah. 
little old woman run up in front of me, little church God woman with that big beehive hairdo, and I'm standing here like this, you know, praying. She said, boy, you can't pray like that. And she grabbed my elbows and threw my hands up in the air. And that woman did the most unusual thing. She slapped me right on top of my head. It popped. And when she did, it's like something broke over me and like warmth just began to rub up. I come out of there talking in tongues. I, I talked in tongues in my sleep. I talked in tongues for three days. Hallelujah. Somebody said, I didn't get it like that. I'm sorry. That's how I got it. It was mine. My family had meetings to talk about me. They said, he's lost his mind. I said, you're right. They said, he'll get over it. It's been 42 years. I still ain't got over it. It's an experience, can you say amen? Acts 2 and 4 said they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. How many need and understand we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Tarry in Jerusalem, don't depart. Let me translate that in modern English. Don't preach, don't teach a class, don't start a church, don't organize a singing group, don't buy a bus. Get the Holy Ghost before you do anything because you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And somebody said it here so eloquently, I believe it was Brother Chris, said not just once but over and over again. Every day, be filled. Be filled. Our country, our world, our churches, families, colleges, schools, Young people, come on. The enemy's got them surrounded. He's crushing the life out of them. He's ripping them every way from Sunday. Are you hearing me? They grow up in church and, and my God, I, we were talking this morning about people we've known that were in ministry, Misty, that grew up in the, in the church and, and got saved and sanctified and Holy Ghost filled and fire baptized. And today they've walked away from God and they're living in adultery and living in homosexuality and they've turned back to the drugs and the weak and beggarly elements. And somebody said, how in the world does that happen? I said, read Romans chapter one. When you pull him down, something else will take its place. So here they are. I'm not going to preach all day. Here we are. This is what the world looks like. And the church is sitting in a wine press. And we're threshing wheat so nobody will see us. And what threshing wheat means, we're beating out the word. We're trying to get the chaff out of it. I, I need just enough for me and Sister Moody to be able to hold on to retirement or, or till rapture. Are you hearing me? That, that's our, that's our mindset. If I can get me and my four, I'm not worried about nobody else. You know, I'm just, and I know, I know we need to get our family in, but lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white, ready to harvest. And in this case, the Midianites and, and all these other devils was coming in and they're gathering our harvest mark right when we ought to be pulling them in to serve God. They're snatching them out and we're in the wine press. We're high. Ooh, Lord, I heard God say, come out of the press, church. Step up and step out. And get prepared to do something for God. Third thing. I've got to deal, I've got to walk trailly here because this is where angels fear to try where I'm going right now. Church traditions and theories and ideas 
have taken the place of word-based scriptural experiences. I had a cousin right after I got the Holy Ghost. He come to me one time and he'd been to Bible college. And he pulled me aside. He said, now, you've got sidetracked, son. I said, how so? He said, listen to what he said. You've got off in that tongues gang. I said, tongues gang? Yeah, he said, that's all they think about is tongues. I said, you ever been to one of them? I know I ain't going there. I said, you probably never will. I said, you hear me. This goes beyond the tongue. I said, I know you ain't got her. You'd bridle that and you've got your mouth right now. Yes. He didn't like that. I said, I'm going to tell you something. I said what you used to say till he filled me with the Holy Ghost and suddenly he said, it's not about what you think, it's about what I say. Is this all right? Denominations teach that the outpouring and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were for an early time. The cessationists say that it stopped with the apostles and uh, they believe that it was only for a time that it was fulfilled in Acts chapter one and, and verse number eight. But Jesus said, talking about the body of Christ, he said, and these signs will follow them in Mark 16 and verse 17, that believe in my name, they'll cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink poison, it won't kill them. They'll lay hands on the sick. They shall Recover, can you say amen? And the Bible goes on to say, they went everywhere preaching this and the Lord followed them. With signs and wonders. I'm not seeking after signs, they're following us. Is this all right? Peter said on the day of Pentecost, the promises to you, your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord God shall call. So the problem is this. In verse number one of this chapter, when you read chapter six, verse number one, it said the children of, the, of, of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And when they did, God delivered them to the enemy. Everything that you do, and, and, and I grew up knowing this. When I was a little boy, my mother died. I watched her die, and I had fear issues. You'll think this is funny, but... All we had back then was some old blue jeans and a little plaid shirt or something. And we'd get one pair of shoes to wear to school. And we'd come in from school, get them school clothes off and them good shoes off and get them old clothes on. There's blue jeans too. And, and we lived in that old farmhouse and, and storms would come and when thunder would, the windows in that old house would, and lightning would crack and it flashed to the house. And I'd, I had issues, fear. And you'll think this is funny, but that little blue jeans had a little button in the front with a button. I'd run around like this. I was afraid lightning was going to strike that button. It's only a metal thing. Fear has torment. You hearing me? But I got saved. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And he didn't give me a spirit of fear again to bondage, but of love and power and a sound mind. Hallelujah. I can wear brass buttons on my shirt now. I don't care. Let the lightning flash, baby. I'm good. 
I know that's a pitiful illustration, but it's the only one I have. You see, everything you do is in the sight of the Lord. The idea was that they knowingly, willingly sinned against God. The Bible said if we sin willfully after we come to this, there's no more sacrifice and the church today is sinning behind this gospel because if it's hid, it's hid to them, they're lost. And to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's a sin. We're all down in our wine press and we're saying, sing my song and preach my message and, and dress like I want you to dress. Somebody said to me a while back, said, why do you wear a suit all the time when you preach? Said, nobody else wears a suit. And they just went on and on and on. And finally, when they shut up, waiting for my answer, I looked at them and said something really profound. I said, because I like them. Is that all right? I mean, there was a time I was poor, I didn't have a suit. I got some now. And it's, it's not some proud look, but I believe when I go to the house of God and I'm walking up in front of that pulpit, I want to try to represent the one that brought me out. Can you say amen? And if you can do that with skinny jeans and a t-shirt, knock yourself out. But I like to wear a suit. Can you say amen? It's all right. It's all right. I don't condemn nobody. I mean, what, what's this guy's name that's having all these great revivals all over the country? The, the one with the dreadlocks and all that stuff. Sean Fwet. I look at that guy and I think, you heathen, looking at him. And then all of a sudden I see tens of thousands getting saved. And I say, bless him, Jesus. <laughs> They're out there shouting the glory down under a bridge somewhere. And we're sitting in the church in a wine press. Threshing a little wheat. I told you I was treading where angels fear to go. Psalm 34 said, depart from evil, do good. Seek peace, pursue it. I'm after this thing, Brother Wayne. I, I wanna do good. I wanna, I wanna find peace. I wanna be able to present the Prince of Peace to people who are living in turmoil because that's where I came from. I know what it feels like to be a child scared laying in an old farmhouse and feel a rat crawling up on the bed and kick him off of the cover before he got to where I was and hear him hit the floor. Y'all don't know anything about that, do you? I know what it's like to wake up in the morning and no heat, reach out and get my britches and put them under the cover and put them on and hit the floor running to get downstairs to the warm morning stove. We didn't have three bedrooms and a bath. We had three bedrooms and a path that went to the outhouse. We didn't even have running water in the house. Are y'all with me? I used to take a bath in a washing tub after my two brothers did. Hello. Same water. We've come a mighty long way, can you say amen? We've got everything except we're still hunkered down in the wine press. Come out of the press. I, I, Lord, I've got to quit. It's almost noon. I smell fish frying. What was the result of this fear, this evil? The enemy got the upper hand. And if we're going to have a move of God, we're going to have to break his hold. And the only thing that will break his hold is the word of God and the Holy Ghost. Somebody said, you rebuke him and he just won't buke. <laughs> You say, go in the name of Jesus. And he flips your tie and says, you look cute. Are you with me? Yes. 
I've walked in rooms before and demons manifest and their eyes roll up in their head and start trying to hide from me. I mean, there's a family one time was at church and they said, we got a man in the hospital. It was this lady's husband and there was all kinds of mess going on there and I didn't know it until later, but he, this guy was a, was a piece of work. And I walked in the hospital room just to pray for him. I thought he was sick. As soon as I walked in the room, his eyes rolled up in the head and the boy started saying, leave, leave. I said, shut up, shut up. I'm here in the name of Jesus. Yeah. You're hearing me? This thing's real. Poor Clyde, before he left to go to Virginia, <laughs> I took him three or four days in a row to a house where a man had demons in him. Before it's over, we got him out. Now he's reaching the world with the gospel, the same guy is. I'm not bragging on me. I'm just telling you there's power in this that I'm talking about. So the enemy got the upper hand. And, uh, you know, in Joshua chapter 7, uh, after Israel had failed, Joshua's laying on the ground. They'd failed it at Ai. In verse 10, the Lord said, get up. Why are you doing laying on your face? Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant in verse 11, which I commanded them. They've taken the accursed thing. They've stolen and dissembled also. They put, put it among their own stuff. And the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs on their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore till you get this mess out of my people. Now, I want to say that God is saying today, I will not be with you till you take care of this. That's not legalism. That's, an open, that's, a, that's the direction to an open door for the glory to come in. Get rid of the mess. I, I thought like this. When David came to the valley of Elah, he went to see the battle and all he saw was a bunch of trembling soldiers scared of a giant because of fear. I'm gonna close. Here's the solution. Verse number six, the latter part of the verse. I read it in your hearing. The Bible said, the children of Israel cried to the Lord. And uh, when they did, God sent a prophet. He sent an angel. He called a man. He raised up a deliverer. And there's so many, there's so many cool things you can preach from Gideon's life, you know, about tearing down the altars of Baal and cutting up their idol and having a sacrifice, a midnight, a midnight sacrifice. Can you say he had a midnight barbecue, praise God, at their expense? And, and then he put a fleece out and the dew came and, and the floor was dry, but he rang a, 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 what, a gallon of water out of the fleece. And then he said, well, God, if you're really going with me, let, let the ground be wet and the fleece be dry. And, and, I, and man, I'm just, and, and somebody, one guy said, we had Paul Gideon have no faith. I said, get over yourself. I said, he was just making sure God was sending him. A lot of people need to do that. And uh, Psalm 34 and 6 said, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his trouble. Stand with me, would you? If God's with us, FGMAA, if God is with us, Church on the Rock, Metamore Church of God, Full Gospel Outreach, Amen, Providence Pentecostal, Trinity Church of God. I can stay here and name them all day. If God is with us, then the enemy is in trouble. Because we're going forward, not just with the word, or not just with an experience, but with both. And we're going to get up out of the press. You know, I was thinking like this, that uh, no man that ever lived for himself 
left a name worth mentioning. But every man that lives for God and for people, there will be a memorial to him. There will be a memorial to him. Brother Ray Freeman, pastor in Kokomo, Ray gave his life for the ministry, wrote curriculum, wrote books, singer, preacher, built a great church, had great camps up there, and Ray preached for us. We'd been there in his church with him, and one morning I got a phone call, and I said, Ray Freeman died in his sleep last night. Hurt me, hurt me. Like, sort of like when Rex Hudson died up at Ravenna. I lost a friend, a man I could call on, an elder. And uh, so me and Dave Caldwell drove to Kokomo. We went to Ray's funeral. And uh, Brother Wayne is trying to think of the name of his church. Uh, but anyway, going through town on the marquees of the Baptist churches, the Christian churches, every church I've seen, it said prayers for the Freeman family and that church. Name of that church. And, uh, and they, they honored him. And when I got to the funeral, they, they had a time for the family to go in. And then they had a time for ministers to come in. There were a, probably a hundred ministers that came by that man's casket. And they seated him. And then after a while, they let the public in. And that, that sanctuary probably held 700. It was packed. People were standing around the walls. People were in the foyer. And uh, I, I sat through that funeral. When we got ready to go to the graveside, I'm like three cars behind the hearse. And uh, I, I'm, that country person is flat as this floor. They're not a hill up there nowhere. It's all flat country. And we're driving to the cemetery and the headlights are on behind us. And Brother Earl, there's a caravan of cars behind us. Looks to me like it's a half mile long following that man of God to the graveyard. And we get there and, and every lane, every spot a car could get, hundreds, probably 300 or more standing around that graveside. And Rick Clendenin walked up to me. Never forget it. Of course, you know, Rick, he's a crier. And he's crying, and he puts his hand on me, and he says, Brother Moody. I said, Brother Rick. He said, when a man lives for himself, he dies alone. I said, you're right. But he said, look what happens when a man lives for God and serves people. Oh. I thought, my God, we have got to have those kind of people that come out of the press. It's, I'm, I'm not down here somewhere, you know, just trying to get a little bit from me. Just a little. Well, if I can get a good message and preach good, they'll like me and maybe give me a big offering or have me back, or you know. I'm afraid sometimes if we really preach what God gives us, somebody might not ever want to talk to us again if they don't measure up. But most time it helps so he said, get in, get up out of that press. And he sent him 30, or he called together the people and 32,000 came. And he said, all those that are scared hit the road, 22,000 left, cut a trail. 10,000 were left. And God said, well, that's still too many. If you use them, they'll think that they did it and not me. He said, test them, see how they drink. And so some 
got down and got the water and lapped it like a dog, looking around. And the others got down on their knees and stuck their face in it. And, you know. Yeah. And so God said, you send that 9,700 of them home. <laughs> it would have been me. I said, wait a minute, God. I'm trying to build a church here. I mean, like, like Philip, I've got a whole city and you want me to go out in the desert for one guy? 300 of them. God started moving in the Midian camp. They started having nightmares about a loaf of bread rolling down and smiting the tent. And one of them said, it ain't nothing but the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Gideon starts eavesdropping. He starts worshiping. And then he's around them hills. They've got pitchers with lamps inside of them. And they got trumpets. And he said, you boys just watch me. I got out of the wine press. I know how to do this. That seems silly to me. Watch me work. But he breaks that pitcher and blows that trumpet. And they start shouting, the sword of the Lord. And Gideon, and they're blowing, and that bunch had a nightmare. They come out of there slinging their swords and killing each other and running like scared rabbits. The Bible said there were so many of them. They were not just the Midianites, but all these. They were like grasshoppers. They had the ground cover. There was hundreds of thousands maybe of them, and 300 of them destroyed them. Then the rest of the army chased them out. I'm done. This is where God wants us to go. He wants us to get out of the press. I dare you to put yourself out there where you're so vulnerable that you'll either sink or swim. You'll live or die for God. One or the other. Like what Pastor said in the first service, he said, I gave my life to this. I'm telling you, that's what I've done. That's what these other men and women of God right here are doing. They're giving their life to it. You see, a gift is something you use for God, but a calling is what you give your life to. You die for it. You live and die for it. That's calling. So where are we going, church? FGMAA, churches, pastors, where are we going? Well, if we're going to find out, we're going to have to get out of the wine press. Embrace the word of God. Amen. If, if, if you have to put a fleece out and let God show you some glory, let him show you. Because he's going to do something in this day. Our country needs us desperately. I'm tired of this bunch robbing the heritage of our children and grandchildren with all this trash that they're putting out from Washington and Hollywood, hello, and Frankfurt, and other state houses. I want the church to be the governing power in our country again, the predominant power, the influence, amen. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for a challenge. Thank you for a promise. Thank you for an experience. Thank you for a word. God, draw us out of the wine press and into the battle. Have your way. Can I just do this? You can look up this way. Can I just ask you, can we just come and maybe just for a moment, just if, if you want to just stand around the front here and raise up our hands and say, God, bring us out and set us forward to be lights shining in the darkness of this world. Let, let, the, let America see, starting in Kentucky, starting in Indiana, starting around where we are. Let them see a real church that has the word and the experience with God. And set our hearts on you.
hope you enjoyed today's message and will tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.